This episode is brought to you by Vin Italy International Academy, the toughest Italian wine program. 1,000 candidates have produced 262 Italian wine ambassadors to date. Next courses in Hong Kong, Russia, New York, and Verona. Think you make the cut? Apply now at vinitalyinternational.com. Welcome to this special Italian wine podcast broadcast. This episode is a recording off Clubhouse, the popular drop-in audio chat. This Clubhouse session was taken from the Wine Business Club and Italian Wine Club. Listen in as wine lovers and experts alike engage in some great conversation on a range of topics in wine. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. And remember to subscribe and rate our show wherever you tune in. So hello everybody, my name is Stevie Kim and this is the Italian Wine Club. I believe, like, is this the 28th edition? I can't remember. Yes, this is the 28th edition. Okay, great. This is, I don't know, it's it's pretty hard to believe. It's the 28th edition of Ambassador's Corner at the Italian Wine Club on Clubhouse. Of course, you guys know that we do replay this on Italian Wine Podcast at some point, and it has been absolutely fabulous. We published the top 10 list from 2021, by the way. Thank you all so much for supporting us. We've hit million listens just last year alone. It really means a lot to us. So, and, and the Ambassador's Kona has been very successful. And I would, I would love to thank all of our ambassadors for that as well. So today is our 20th edition, and we are here with Lorenzo, who um, Marcia will introduce. But let me just um, tell you what this is about. Most of you I see in the audience, you know what this is all about. The Ambassador's Corner is so that we can kind of bridge the gap between the Italian ambassadors at large and with the producers. So, and they get to choose their favorite Italian wine producers. And this is where we have a small chat for circa one hour. I try to mind everybody's time. So we try to cap it off at one hour mark. So today's uh, moderator is Marcia Ham. Did I say it correctly? I never know like how to pronounce your first name. No, you totally got it right. Okay, thank you. Okay, so it's Marcia Ham, and she's our Italian wine expert, one of the very few, which means she's the top level of the Vinital International Academy ambassadorship. She is based in, in still in Edmonton, is that correct? Yep, that's right. Okay, and and specifically in Alberta with your friend Gurvinder. Do you get to see Gurvinder much? No, I think he's uh, he's off traveling again. He's been uh, he's been in other parts of the world doing some wine judging. So hopefully you will be coming uh, back to Verona and you'll get to see your neighbor in Verona in April. Isn't that <laughs> how how yeah how interesting is that? So right now, um, tell us a l- little bit about what you're doing right now, Matsya. I remember when I when I came to you, you were running a wine shop. Um, in your area, specialized, um, of course, in Italian wine. But what are you doing now? I am in a different wine shop. I'm in a very large, what some people would call a big box store. However, we sort of bridge the gap 
in our store between a boutique and a large store because we do have a, a very niche selection of wines. And, and we do specialize in Italian wines here as well. Uh, since my arrival, the Italian section has certainly expanded. And so I, I run the Vintage Room here, which is the collectible, cellar-worthy uh, wine room, as well as uh, I'm the floor manager. I make sure things are kind of running smoothly here on the floor and do a lot of do a lot of sales. Great, fantastic. And the shop is called Every Everything Wine and More. Is that correct? That is right. Yeah. Okay. So um, first of all, congratulations. I don't know when you got your diploma, but you're also a diploma holder. And you also did the Italian Wine Scholar Program. So you're also an Italian Wine Scholar. You're also an educator for Vinital International Academy. You did one course, right? You had a groupage, a group of one class, or did you do more than that? No, I've just had the one class. That was in December of 2019. And then we all know what happened after that. <laughs> right, right. So you, how, what is the COVID situation there right now? Well, it's, uh, you know, we're certainly not locked down, but it's, uh, it's masks everywhere you go. And, you know, hospital uh, admissions are still up. And we're just, we're, I think like everybody else, just trying to run its course and, and get through and move on. Yeah, I, I can't remember the last time I saw you, so I'm really looking forward to seeing you very, very soon. Matsya, listen, we always get to ask um, our ambassadors, why did you select Lorenzo Marotti Campi as your favorite producers? Because you know tons of Italian wine producers. Why did you choose him for today's call? I... I... I do know a lot of producers. I, I've been very lucky and blessed to have met a lot of really great producers. But uh, I, I've always had a, a very good relationship with Lorenzo. I've done several calls with him before. We've met here in Market in Alberta. Uh, I've been to the Marque a couple of times and have been able to sit down to dinner with him, not just um, on a professional level, but just a personal level. Uh, I was invited to his estate, but I wasn't able to go, unfortunately. But it's important, I think, for everybody to know that his estate produces Lacrima, which is one of uh, the few um, aromatic red grapes that uh, Italy has. And his particular estate produces um, a table wine from it, a sparkling pasito, a frizzante. It's a very interesting grape and a very interesting thing that he's doing. So that's that's why I chose him. Oh, great. Oh, let me just give a shout out to Dino. Dino, listen, I'm going to reach out to you because one of our um, podcasters want to interview you. I see Dino Bori in the audience. Okay. And then um, how did you how did you meet Lorenzo? I met him through actually through the importer, his importer here in Alberta, who is a friend of mine. So her partner. What is the name up. of the importer in um, Alberta? Uh, it's a wine quest spirit brokers okay yeah so really small company that represents lorenzo's wine here in market and i was able to walk around tasting where i tasted his wine specifically the orgiolo lacrima and that has been a wine that has really really stayed with me as far as it's i will never forget the first time i had it and it's one of those wines that I will always recommend to people and that I think is just absolutely fantastic just for the qualities and the aromas. And So, Matsya, what after this call, uh, you see a lot of your colleagues and co-ambassadors here, uh, Aaron, 
Shout out to Erin and Otushar from Dubai. And of course, Melissa, I see Amelia, Kevin. I hope you can come enjoy Fanny, Eric, and so on. So what do you, uh, what do we expect from you after this call? What can we learn? What are the learning objectives? We are going to learn all about lacrima. Really, it's, it's about how, how it operates in the vineyard, how it behaves, what wines it makes, uh, why we should drink it. Okay, fantastic. So you won't believe this, but this is the part where I get to shut up. It's, it rarely happens, so, you know. And you can just take it away. To you, Marcia. All right, thank I'll you, come back Steve. later when, you know, like if there's some questions and answers, if there's time. Okay? And All to right, close so up the room later. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. See you later. So, yeah, as I said, we're going to be, uh, Lorenzo and I will be chatting today. Uh, this is not the first time we've done this. We've we've had quite a few lengthy chats about lacrima. But just to give you a little bit of an introduction on Lorenzo, and he can expand on this as well. He uh, He and his family currently live in Rome. He was born there uh, and has an economics degree from from Rome and he literally only spent the summer holidays in in the Marche with his family it's three generations uh, I don't think he ever thought that he would be running a winery but here he is um 23 some years later and he's still in the wine path in the wine business uh it's a family-run business of course with focus on uh, Veridicchio and Lacrima and Lorenzo supervises the wine production and manages the sales and uh, many other tasks. And of course, we see him at Vinitaly and in Market and other places like that. So uh, ciao, Lorenzo. It's really nice to be chatting with you again. Ciao, ciao, everybody. So I moved in the, in, in the market since uh, 23 years ago, but it was not planned. Uh, it was my father uh, who, after uh, he retired from a career in the spirits, uh, uh, decided to build a winery in the property to vinify the grapes that we already had because we had uh, over 50 hectares uh, of grapes back then. Uh, and I told him, okay, I can help you at the beginning, then I will choose my, my road. And now, after 23 years, I think uh, this, is the, this was my road. Uh, so here I am. So, uh, so we know that you are live in the countryside of of La Marque, but tell us exactly, you know, specifically yeah. where you're located and, and what. Okay, you first of all, La Marque. I don't know if everyone is familiar with La Marque. La Marque is a, is in the central east coast of Italy on the Adriatic Sea. It is a, a beautiful region with a, a widespread beauty, with gentle rolling hill uh, descending from the Apennino Mountains. Uh, to the coast, there is almost no flat land in Le Marche. We are in the center of Le Marche, in the Ancona province, uh, halfway between the medieval city of Iesi, inland, located inland, and the coast, just 10 kilometers from the coast on the small town of Senigallia. Um, both of them are uh, very old uh, medieval towns, uh, that still preserve uh, their uh, medieval walls. So Le Marche, it's, a, it's a, the unspoiled, real Italian countryside, a rich of medieval villages uh, with its culture, um, heritage, um, and uh, still untouched by the uh, mass tourism. 
for those of you that are listening that have not been to La Marque, you absolutely need to go because it's 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 stunning. It's absolutely gorgeous. So Moro is a, is the center of uh, two appellations, uh, which are Verdicchio dei Castelli di Iesi. We produce also Verdicchio is not a second son for us. We love Verdicchio. It's just today is more about Lacrima, but uh, and uh, it's a center of the, also the appellation Lacrima di Mordalba, uh, which we are the largest growers of. Yes. So, you know, as, as I've mentioned, we've talked about um, Lacrima before, and you said you are the largest growers. How many hectares do you have uh, under vine of Lacrima? Well, maybe uh, we should uh, uh, consider the Lacrima was a disappearing uh, uh, grape. Uh, and back in 1985, there were only seven hectares left. When we started the winery in 1999, there were only 50 hectares and we owned uh, 25. Today we have uh, uh, about 35 hectares uh, of Lacrima uh, out of a total of 200. So we are the single largest growers. There are other growers, of course, not all of them make wine. Many of them, they uh, just sell the grape, but there's a total of uh, almost, I think it's 22 today, 22 producers of Lacrima di Mordalba. So, um... You know, you mentioned you have 35 hectares and you are the single largest grower. Uh, we've had a conversation about uh, the fact that you actually make wine for other other wineries. Why do you why do you do this and why do you choose to do this as opposed to this just producing it all? Well, uh, two two main reasons. First. Uh, uh, we started the winery when we owned a total of 70 hectares of grapes between Lacrima and Verdicchio. And as you know, unfortunately, it's not so easy to uh, uh, go on the market with uh, over half a million bottles uh, and uh, in, in a short amount uh, of time, at least in a generation. It takes time to develop a market. And we didn't want to rush to the market with too many bottles. Um, so, uh, producing Lacrima for others, uh, uh, it means for us that uh, we can keep really be very selective on, uh, on the grapes uh, because we vinify everything and we keep the very best uh, for us. And uh, especially when you work on the Lacrima, this is very helpful in uh, uh, being consistent in quality uh, because if, let's say, out of 100, uh, we take 30% for us and the rest uh, we produce uh, uh, for uh, we bottle for other producers this means that despite the the harvest and uh, the condition of the uh, single vintage uh, we manage uh, to be uh, a bit more consistent uh, in the quality and uh, again with the lacrima uh, it is a very critical aspect because lacrima tend to uh, vary from vintage to vintage a lot in terms of both yields per hectare and in terms of uh, quality. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the grape itself, let's let's chat about that for my fellow ambassadors in the room. This We all know how important this information is to us in our learning and into sharing information with others. So many Italian grapes, of course, are given their names based on their color, their shape, uh, where they're grown, characteristics, and of course, lacrima means tear. So can you tell us about that, why uh, this particular grape is named Lacrima um, and, and how, how they ripen? I mean, I know the answer, but let's, let's, uh, let's hear what you have to say and tell everybody else about it. 
Yes, Lacrima di Morodalba is a long name, not so easy to pronounce, uh, but is, I think it's a beautiful name for an appellation because in its name, it has both uh, the name of the varietal and, uh, and the name of the, of the location where the Lacrima is produced, which is the village of Morodalba. Teardrop uh, is because uh, the skin of the grape, uh, it's thick but fragile. And uh, when it gets towards the maturation, um, since the cluster tend to be very compact and tight, the, the skin breaks and leaks black tears on the ground. Uh, and uh, uh, it, it is very critical that you harvest uh, right before uh, this happens, uh, because being very tight, the, the cluster, it tends to develop molds uh, and other problem that you don't want to bring in the, in the winery. So that's why we call it lacrima, which imply, implies also the fact that the, the harvest time on the lacrima, differently from Verdicchio, uh, is not very flexible. When it's time, it's time. You don't have a, a large room, a large, large window of time to, to pick the grape. So literally, you're, you're saying that as soon as you pick the grape, you got to get it to the winery because it might start fermenting. Uh, right away? No, no, not really that. I'm, I'm saying that uh, when the grapes get towards the maturation, since the cluster is very tight and the skin tend to break and you don't want to uh, leave the grape uh, on the vineyards uh, leaking juice because uh, being the cluster very tight and compact, uh, it can create problems. So uh, that, that the winery is very close. So as soon as we pick the grape, we bring to the winery. It doesn't have time to ferment, but you, you need to do uh, with the right timings. Yes, right. So um, once it gets into the winery, um, are you using um, uh, native, native yeast, natural fermentation? Uh, we don't want to gamble with uh, 70 hectares of grapes. Uh, we use selected yeast because uh, it's... It's totally untrue that uh, only indigenous grape uh, make typical wine. That's that's not. Uh, uh, we do not believe in this. Uh, we do believe in uh, uh, research. Uh, we do believe uh, in the fact that uh, uh, after 23 years we've been experimenting several uh, selected yeast, which are not characterizing yeast. Uh, just select good fermenters, uh, which on the lacrima are critical and uh, for several aspects. And we came out with a, with a specific one, uh, which is very good in uh, linking uh, uh, with the um, uh, sulfur, the lacrima extract after the fermentation. Um, uh, so it develops after the fermentation. So we don't need uh, to, um, to intervene uh, to, to clean uh, the, uh, the lacrima too much. So uh, I think that's why we use a selected yeast. Okay. Yeah, well, that, that totally makes sense to me. Um, as you said, you you don't want to be uh, uh, <laughs> uh, playing Russian roulette with your with your 70 hectares that you're you know making the best for yourself and and making for other producers as well. Um, yes, at the end, I mean the the, the, the yeast must just uh, take the uh, ferment the sugar into alcohol in the proper way without leaving uh, uh, the open door for bacteria or other problem, uh, which in the lacrima, being an aromatic grape, uh, would result amplified after the process is finished. So that's why. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's let's talk about the, uh, the the still wines right now, the Rubico and the Orgiolo. So can you explain to us, uh, Lorenzo, the differences in the winemaking of those two? 
Yes, uh, when I started making Lacrima, there was only one version of uh, Lacrima. Uh, it was the young Lacrima, uh, vinified in stainless steel only, that expresses uh, at its highest level the primary aromas of the grape, which are roses, violet, lavender, the floral uh, primary aromas, uh, which Lacrima is known for. Just uh, it was uh, um, believed that that was the only way of making uh, uh, Lacrima. Uh, when we started making Lacrima, we decided that we needed to experiment a bit more to see the true potential of this grape, to see if it was possible to age Lacrima and have different expression than just a young Beaujolais Nouveau style uh, kind of uh, red wine. So uh, along with uh, a young version of Lacrima, which is the Rubico, we vinified in stainless steel uh, to give the uh, fresh expression of the grape. We started making another version of Lacrima, which is the Orgiolo, our Lacrima Superiore, who comes uh, um, out in the market after one year of um, aging in a used uh, uh, oak barrels. Uh, we say um, almost neutral oak after several passages. This is because Lacrima, uh, it's extremely rich in anti-science, which are very, very powerful antioxidants. And uh, in the early stage, it tends to be a bit close. Um, with the aging in the wood, we help the Lacrima to evolve a bit faster and open up uh, to uh, different aromas, uh, which are spices, uh, more complex bouquet, uh, maybe a bit less intense, but more uh, more complex and a bit more elegant. So with your Orgiolo, we have a, a version of Lacrima, which is a bit, uh, uh, slightly less uh, uh, rustic than the young Lacrima, more elegant uh, and made for long aging, because Lacrima, differently from what people thought, can age extremely well. So Orgiolo is a vinified stainless steel, but just aged in, uh, in neutral oak. Yeah, um, so I, I remember, you know, the first time I, I tasted the Orgiolo, you literally could have heard a pin drop in the room with my um, with my tasting group because I had never in my life experienced anything like that before. And this was before I started studying Italian grapes. And But I just remember thinking this is this is one of the coolest wines I have ever smelled. And as you said, it's very, very dark in color. And the, the floral aromas, the lavender came through, the rose. But I, I just want to challenge um, my fellow ambassadors in the room too, if you get a chance to taste uh, Lorenzo's Orgiolo, look for green cardamom. It's it, it's just an interesting scent that has never, I've never been able to get that out of my head. Every time I have a glass of of uh, Lacroma de Moro de Alba from uh, Lorenzo's Orgiolo, I always get that green cardamom note. Um, so I, I challenge you, I dare you when you try to to find that note in there as well. Yeah, Lacroma is a bit, it can be a bit polarizing because it's extremely different red wine with a lot of personality. And of course, uh, like everything with a lot of personality, you find people who love it and people who just don't like that kind of wine, but uh, it's okay. We don't, we don't make for wine for everybody. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, and, I, and I like your comment about uh, the ageability of it, because it's certainly not something that you think of, especially in an aromatic grape variety that you can that you can age it. So ha, what's the oldest bottle that you have in your library right now for Lacrima, uh, Lorenzo? Well, I have the first been I have um, or with the Lacrima, especially with your Giolo, we mm, take uh, apart several bottles because we can do vertical tasting. And I can say I have a 
the latest, the, the last 20 uh, uh, vintages, uh, dating back to the 2000 vintages, and they are all in a, a very good shape. Uh, we, we've done several uh, library tastings uh, with all the vintages, and uh, really there is not one that has, that has fallen. Uh, and this in virtue of uh, these, those anthocyanins, uh, and, a, and a good acidity, which keeps uh, the freshness uh, uh, of the fruit and the freshness uh, of the color. The lacrim has this very uh, red and violet uh, color that uh, it preserves even after uh, several years. And this was uh, unexpected because uh, um, lacrim originally was done only in carbonic maceration, like Beaujolais Nouveau. So that kind of vinification is perfect to emphasize the uh, fresh aromas, the primary aromas of the wine, but then they fade uh, early and they leave you with a wine which is not suitable for long aging. But if done in a different way, Lacrima uh, really ages uh, uh, very well. Well, I can't wait to uh, try some of your older vintages sometime. <laughs> Okay. Uh, why? So why? Uh, um, I know for you, you make several styles of wine with lacrima. So why is, um, you know, lacrima such a great, great for making, you know, pasito and sparkling, not just for still wines? Well, why I make a different wine is because uh, uh, I only I only have two grapes, uh, Verdicchio and Lacrima. Um, I want to be uh, recognized as a, a producer of these two grapes, so uh, we experiment a lot uh, in um, every form and shape, uh, these two grapes. So the reason we make lacrima in, in different style, the main reason is that one. Uh, is it lacrima uh, so versatile? Not as much as Verdicchio, I must say. Uh, but again, we make a rosé wine, uh, we make a sparkling rosé. Uh, we make we don't make a passito di lacrima, though we make a, a a partially fermented uh, must of lacrima, which is the Xiris, um, a, a same procedure as the uh, Moscato d'Asti or uh, Lambrusco, I don't know, which is uh, uh, only six alcohol and the rest is natural residual sugars. Uh, so we, we play with the grape. Uh, that, uh, of course, the, the main wine we make is a red steel wine, uh, which can be called lacrima, because uh, it can be called lacrima only in the uh, still red wine version and in the pasito version. All the other uh, uh, forms of lacrima, rosé, sparkling rosé, uh, partially fermented, they cannot be called a lacrima, so you won't find the lacrima word on the label uh, anywhere. Yeah, that's correct. So the, the sparkling is just called Spumante Rosato Brut, made in the Charmat method, um, which I have, I've had and I typically carry in the store here. And of course, we were just talking about the Ziris, which is a very interesting style, I think. Um, so on, on the label, it says, Mosto di uve parzialmente fermentato. And as you said, there's no lacrima on there anywhere on the label. So, um, you know, you stated that it was similar to Moscato as far as the alcohol content, but explain this whole process of this partially fermented must for the Zetus. Uh, yes, well, you, um, it's the first fermentation. We, we, we produce the must uh, and we keep it uh, uh, 
at very cold temperature so it doesn't start the fermentation then we put into an autoclave uh, which uh, keeps the uh, carbonics uh, during the fermentation we start the fermentation and we stop it with the cold temperature and filter we stop the fermentation when it reaches about 6 uh, 6.5 alcohol so a bit higher than a moscato and the rest is just a natural residual sugar let's say about 130 grams the nice thing is that it's just natural residual sugar. It's not added sugar uh, or concentrated great must, which very often is added to this kind of wine or also to steel wine, unfortunately. Um, so uh, it's not sticky on the palate. It's not tiring. It's not uh, the kind of sugar that saturates you very uh, quickly. You can drink it. Uh, of course, it's a sweet wine meant for dessert, uh, but it leaves you a, a very fresh and clean palate uh, so that's the uh, character of the wine and you see a and it's a version of lacrima where you really uh taste the fruity floral uh, aromas of the grape the violets the roses uh, you have on the nose and especially on the palate yeah it's uh it, it is a fantastic little wine um this the ziris it's it's great with any sort of uh cherry fruit, compote, or any, a little bit of chocolate in there. Um, just let me reset the room for a moment. I am speaking to Lorenzo Moratti Campi from the uh, Moratti Campi estate in La Marche. Um, and today we're talking about lacrima. So for those of you that missed it, I, I uh, introduced Lorenzo earlier and I gave a little bit of his background and he expounded on that. Um, but if you're just joining us, this is who we're speaking to today. And we're talking all about lacrima, uh, of course, which is an aromatic uh, grape variety, a red aromatic grape variety uh, that he produces on. Well, it's, it's not it's not classified as aromatic varietal. That's uh, strange enough, but uh, it's not classified as a aromatic varietal, even though it's clearly an aromatic grape. Or uh, semi-aromatic. <laughs> yeah, let's say semi-aromatic. Yeah. Okay. Um, so. Um, you know, we've we've talked about all of these different styles of of lacrima. Now, if we were to put this on our table with some food, um, what you know, what are we going to pair this with, Lorenzo? Well, it's funny because um, when uh, when I when people taste lacrima for the first time, uh, especially chef, they say, "Oh my God, what what are going to pair this wine with?" Because uh, it's too aromatic, it's too it's too different. But lacrima is extremely versatile in the food pairing. In fact, uh, in the local cuisine, uh, the lacrima is paired both with white meat. Uh, we have a lot of uh, turkey, rabbit, uh, duck, uh, uh, pork, um, but also with fish. Uh, in the um, Le Marche cuisine is uh, pretty much divided between coastal cuisine and inland cuisine. Inland is all about farms and animals of the farm. So uh, again, duck, rabbit, pork, uh, cooked uh, in, in a very typical way with fennel seeds, uh, wild fennel seeds uh, on, in the oven, very tasty and, 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 uh, and, uh, and oily. Uh, on the on the coast uh, is all about fish, uh, especially we in, in the Ancona area. There is a, a typical dish which is called brodetto all'anconetana, which is a uh, let's say Gioppino style uh, soup with a with a oily fish, um, 
fat fish, uh, tomato sauce. Lacrima loves uh, the pairing with tomato. Um, so even though all the pasta dishes with some tomato, uh, sausages, uh, I'd say lacrima goes with any everything, anything uh, just not the plain beef steak is not the optimal pairing for the lacrima, but depending on the young and older version, uh, lacrima, it's a red wine that emphasizes the aroma of the dish. Uh, even uh, if you think of the green uh, uh, kind of green meats, like the liver, the duck, uh, they have a slightly herbal green finish. Uh, the lacrima makes them a bit more elegant and floral in the, in the finish. So it's a very fun red wine to pair with food. It's complementary to many other reds. That's that's good to hear because it's always been one of those where I, I'm like, I have no idea what to serve with this. So that was a very comprehensive list. Oh, uh, what about cheeses, Lorenzo? Yes, definitely. Young cheese, especially, uh, in my opinion. Uh, but when I was in Edmonton, we had with bisons, which was very good. So <laughs> again, it's a, it's really versatile. These these aromas uh, they tend to play a lot with the dish, especially if it's a dish uh, a bit fat. Lacrima loves uh, the pairing with something oily because it, it it is dry. One very important thing to say is that the real lacrima is totally dry. I've met so many people on the market who told me, oh no, I don't like lacrima because it's sweet because they had their first encounter with lacrima there there are sweets so they are they have been sugar added uh, but the true nature of lacrima is being totally dry uh, this is very important to note yes yes absolutely and uh, of course here in alberta we love our we love our red meats and and i'm glad you got to have it with some bison very interesting <laughs> um I, I don't have any more questions for you, Lorenzo. Is there anything that you wanted to add before uh, I give the room back to Stevie and we open it up to the floor for questions? Well, the, the only thing that I, I like to stress uh, because is that the, the wine communication is uh, floated with rhetoric uh, and the only through concept that I want to uh, that is dear to me is that we are estate growers. We make wine from our own grapes, which is uh, the, the 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 most characterizing aspect uh, of my winery. We are part of uh, Fivi, which is uh, uh, the independent wine growers uh, of Italy, uh, and we really support uh, this kind of uh, uh, communication because I think it's the most important aspect uh, in a winery uh, before. All the rhetoric that um, evolves around uh, the, the, the nature, the love of nature, the sustainability and everything else. But uh, the first question you should always ask to a producer is, that, is uh, do you make wine from your own grapes or are you a wine merchant or are you something else? So just this and then I would leave the room to the question and answer. Uh, Okay, thank you very much, Lorenzo and Marzia. So uh, this is a good time. Um, we ran through those questions. Uh, if anybody in the audience has any questions, this is a good time for you to raise your hand and we will bring you onto the stage. In the meantime, I have a question for you, Lorenzo. Um, can you just give me an overview of your uh, wines like how many labels what is the production kind of more the business side and the economics w where do you um where are your wines 
represented, um, of course, in addition to Canada, which are your main markets and why? Sure, we produce about uh, 300,000 bottles uh, and they are divided half and half between Verdicchio and Lacrima. Uh, we produce uh, four labels of Verdicchio. So we, we, we cover the full range of Verdicchio. We have an entry-level Verdicchio, the Verdicchio Superiore. We have a Verdicchio Reserva, which is aged, partially aged in wood. And now we have a new Verdicchio, which is uh, a macerated. Uh, it's uh, six months, uh, five, six months uh, maceration on the skin. It's not an orange wine, though. It's uh, not oxidized. What, what color is it? No, it's totally yellow, not orange, no mm -hmm. oxidation. And uh, so we, we, we never wanted to make an orange wine. It's just a, a macerated wine, which is two slightly different uh, things. Uh, so it's a new experiment we are we are doing. Uh, this regards Verdicchio. Regarding Lacrima, uh, we make two Lacrima, the Orgiolo and the Rubico, the young and the aged wine. Uh, and with the Lacrima grape, we make a, a steel rosé, a sparkling rosé, and the sweet. And then we also planted uh, 25 years ago, three hectares of international varietal, because back then, if you did not have a Cabernet, a Merlot, or something else, you were uh, no one. So we had uh, uh, three hectares of uh, uh, mixed Cabernet, Petit Verdot, and Montepulciano. We never wanted to mix with the Lacrima because we, we vinify Lacrima 100% and Verdicchio 100%. So we made a, a red steel wine out of those uh, uh, grapes, which is the Donderé, uh, which is also available in, in, in Alberta through Gewinder. Gewinder was one of the first uh, who brought the Donderé in, in Alberta. So, but it's the only, uh, it, we only make a few bottles of that. The, the real focus is on our two Verdicchios and two Lacrima, which are the main labels. And we so, are distributed uh, uh, here and there. It's a very, uh, um, it's a very um, mm, wide, widespread distribution from uh, uh, Australia to US to New Zealand and Europe. And Italy, I think, is still our main market because uh, we have a good sales force in Italy and, uh, and they are really niche wine, especially the Lacrima. So uh, it's not a kind of wine where you expect a huge rotation. Even so, if prices are not. Um, who's who's your importer in America stateside? No, we don't have a stateside importer. We work with, with about ten importers mm -hmm. in different states. Uh, so we we tend to favor smaller uh, distribution because we are not uh, a, a huge winery uh, and. I like to travel a lot because I'm also a hobbyist, uh, advanced photographer. So, uh, I, I, oh, I so make, you're a photographer. Yeah. Tell us, I, I, tell us I, about I, that. Do you have I a make special? I make photography better than wine. But, <laughs> but <laughs> basically, wine, wine making is basically an excuse to travel the world. It's a really a good excuse. Uh, so you can find them on Instagram. Unfortunately, the past two years, uh, there is not much. Uh, about my travels is only about my grapes and, uh, and vineyards that so tend to be a bit boring. But uh, if you scroll my Instagram uh, in the uh, uh, farther than two years uh, ago, uh, you have uh, a, a good. Uh, so is it the uh, is it Lorenzo Maria de Campi? Yeah, Maria de Campi. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So it's mostly landscape. Is that is that fair landscape, to say? Landscape, animal, people, depending on where I go. Of course, if I go to Cambodia, I, 
I go for people. If I, I, I love U.S., especially U.S. and Canada, especially the the West. Uh, the West of them uh, also made a vi made a video, which is on my YouTube, uh, uh, of pictures of U.S. and Canada uh, because of the landscape uh, over there are majestic, and so. And it's... are you doing your own social media? Yeah, I'm. I'm one man band. This is this is not a, a winery. <laughs> but I, we are, we are two person. I have, I have one. One very good person uh, who does uh, the accounting the, in the banks, uh, mm -hmm. which is the most boring part of the but business. But important uh, for survival. It's, it's the most yes. important and the most boring. Uh, and I do everything else, which goes from the sales uh, to the internet, to media, to traveling, to everything else. And of course, the production. And I, I, have, I must say, I'm very lucky. I have people with me in the production department uh, uh, which are extremely capable. Uh, the head of my workers uh, is with me since uh, three generation, and now his son is uh, uh, is with us too. And, and we have a, a team of young uh, kids uh, working with us, and uh, we take care of them, and they they really work as if they was uh, their own company. So we are very lucky uh, in that department. So um, I usually also like to know, like, how was the harvest, the last harvest? Last harvest was very yeah. interesting because, as you know, uh, especially in the central uh, south of Italy, it was a record drought and heat. Uh, so when it was towards July, we were afraid that we would not harvest because we had never seen such a, a drought and hot temperature with winds. But we are lucky that we are in Sant'Amico, which is a, a where is a that? Sant'Amico is a, the a hill of Mordalba, which is considered a crew for Lacrima. Uh, it was selected my my grandfather's, my grand grandfather, the founder of the uh, of the farm, uh, hired uh, an agronomist of the uh, of the time. Um, to find uh, land which was uh, uh, the most suitable for agriculture. And uh, the soil here is very fresh. It's a mixed soil, clay, sand, but uh, with a good stratification that really keeps the, uh, the, the, the water. So um, whilst uh, five miles from here or less, uh, let's say three miles from here, they did not pick the grape this year. Uh, we had an excellent harvest. Uh, and uh, you could see the a huge difference between uh, uh, the next hill and our hill, uh, just because of how the composition of the soil is. So we were lucky, good harvest, good quality, and also we had the quantities, and it was really unexpected. So this year, I think it was the the proof uh, that our grand-grand uh, uh, parents uh, uh, had a good eye for the, for the soil and for the land. Excellent. So Lorenzo, um... Which is your signature wine? Is it definitely Lacrima or is it also Verdicchio? Well, the wine that I get most of the awards is our Verdicchio Riserva, mm -hmm. uh, San Mariano, along with the Lacrima Superiore, though. I mean, they're, they're both equally awarded. Uh, and uh, to me, it's really impossible to say uh, I prefer one or the other because it's they're, like they're I, your children it's like asking a parent who's your children, favorite child i, I, I <laughs> end up drinking more white wine than red wine in general uh, sure. and Ber, berdicchio as a as a i think a, 
as a complexity that is second to no other white wine in Italy. Uh, Lacrima, it's a slightly simpler wine in some way uh, because it's not a, a, a Nebbiolo, uh, uh, but um, it, it has such a strong personality, so it comes out for from another uh, another door. So it's uh, they are really two 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 sons two two sons of mine. So okay, so yeah. sorry, sure, go ahead, Matsya. Yeah, do you have um, like are you currently uh, have a tasting room on site? Is it open? Are you able to do that? Uh, we do tasting room. Yes, we do tasting room. Taking in consideration the market is not. Uh, Tuscany or Piedmont, where you have a, a huge amount of tourists uh, all year round. So the tourist season is mainly in summertime, and uh, we are always open. We always been opened, and people can come in and uh, get a taste of the wine at the bancone on the on the table uh, of the of the counter of the shop. But we do have we do, we have. Uh, several room for tasting we have a, a it's a large villa so we either outside or inside uh, we host uh, tasting uh, we've been doing more in the past uh, in the in the past two years have been more difficult but we never closed them so okay i just bought up um andre from uh uh latvia he's uh, also italian wine ambassador uh, from this class of 2021 ciao andre hi buonasera Ciao. Have you got a question for Lorenzo or Marzia? Yes, I have a question about uh, Lacrima, and uh, as I understand, uh, you told us that uh, this wine have an uh, aging potential, or may I say longevity for 10, 15, 20 years, right? Correct, correct, absolutely true. Uh, yes. Only, only if they are made in a truthful way. Yeah, of course. Could you please describe the maturing phases of this uh, wine? Uh, let's say, do, does it have a um, rooted phase? Uh, and uh, finally, what the aromas after 15, 20 years this wine has? Yes, definitely. Lacrima changes a lot because uh, it's almost aromatic. So like uh, every aromatic wine, and, and, and the aroma, the primary aroma of the lacrima are roses and violet, which are floral notes. And the floral notes, they don't stay in the wine forever. They evolve uh, after a few years into something else. Usually it's not fruit, it's more spices. So even after a couple of years, uh, you start to pick up uh, juniper, uh, um, sage, uh, lavender, uh, dried purpuri flowers. Uh, but the further you go with the aging, the more developed clove, pepper notes, and even more, it turns into balsamic notes. So really, the uh, 20 years old lacrima is a very balsamic, so, and it really uh, it tastes like a, a pine forest. Uh, um, so this is the evolution. Um, in terms of uh, tannins and fruit, the wine stay, tends to stay young because it is extremely rich of antioxidant in terms of uh, anthocyanins. And uh, even the color is surprisingly young after many years. Uh, very few vintages uh, uh, turns to more uh, orangey red color, but most of them that stay 
red violet so um, it, it's very difficult to oxidate the lacrima you can try it by opening a bottle and leaving several days and uh, it, it actually grows it doesn't fade it grows it really needs oxygen to open up so that's this the evolution of the lacrima and it becomes more elegant because lacrima when it's extremely young uh, it, it has a slightly green uh, uh, green tannins tend to have slightly green tannins but with some aging uh, they smoothen a bit uh, and uh, it becomes more elegant and velvety andrea are you are you satisfied with this answer yes yes thank you very much because i don't think that a lot of of people or among among even italian wine ambassador has possibility to taste uh, 15 or 20 years old lacrima you can so, do yeah. only my winery we we we, have, we hosted um, several wine ambassadors in the past with uh, many many uh, old vintages uh, so um, uh, last time uh, we had a uh, library tasting was uh, with ian dagata uh, Back at the time, but uh, there are yeah, I, I I've done several. I I still do a lot of uh, vertical tasting, but not many winery actually. I'm I think I'm the only one who, who are keeping old uh, vintages of Lacrima to do those kind of library tasting. It's not really to sell them, uh, but just to uh, to show that Lacrima is not only a, a Beaujolais Nouveau. Well, Lorenzo, it sounds like an invitation to me. So Definitely, I think... when, when you want, okay. when you want. Okay, so I think like, you'll be getting a lot of calls very soon. And certainly next time we organize a Gita Scolastica, we will be um, tapping you for that um, availability. So uh, I know Laika, our clubhouse manager, um, has a question for you. Ciao, Laika. Ciao, ciao, Stevie. Ciao, ciao Lorenzo. This is really out of curiosity because, yeah, I agree. Actually, I was looking through your website and um, the, the Roti Campi website and the photos are really astonishing. It's amazing. Uh, so now... Well, now we discovered he's a photographer, really so... <laughs> yeah, amazing, right? So um, this is out of curiosity because I was also um, helping you out earlier on the biography. Um, you mentioned that your um, your background is not really related to wine, right? I mean, you were you you didn't um, you you didn't um, when you when you started, you weren't really into the wine world, and then you then grew up to the vineyards. But then, I'm really curious, like, what keeps you staying in your wine road? Why why are you stay still staying? So that's it. <laughs> well, I, I I don't have a B plan, fortunately. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I, I consider myself lucky uh, to be in this world uh, because uh, first of all, first of all, I work for myself, and this is a, 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 an added value. Second, it's a kind of job which is very various. Uh, Monotony is not for me, and uh, when you work in the wine, you do really a bit of uh, everything. Uh, most of all, you have the chance of traveling the world, seeing people, seeing the world, uh, which I would not be able to do uh, if I work at somewhere else. Of course, uh, 
uh, with the joy comes the pain. When you have a winery, especially when you have a winery in central south of Italy, when the value of the land and the value of the grapes is not so high, um, uh, you must be brave <laughs> to uh, to produce wine from your own vineyards. Uh, so uh, not everything is uh, as bucolic or poetic as it may sound, but uh i think it's a good life and uh, that's why i'm still here all right thank you so much for that answer i think uh i think lorenzo stevie made a good point that uh hopefully the uh gita scholastica where we've typically gone to uh bulgari or sicily that uh things can move over to the east side and and forget bulgari marche and my place is uh, much yeah. more beautiful than bulgari yes. I cannot, yes. I cannot <laughs> speak about the wine uh, because uh, my, the area is for sure more beautiful and uh, my state also is beautiful, especially in May where we uh, uh, we have a lot of roses, uh, flowerings, and uh, we have also an agritourism, so we can host you uh, in the agritourism. So um, there is no excuse not to, to, not to come. It, well, it definitely sounds very sexy for many of us. Lorenzo, I have one last question. It's a little bit cheeky. Um, and I always like to ask this question, which is, you verdicchio, because I love verdicchio. I'm not, um, I'm not very familiar. I've not had a lot of exposure to lacrima, but verdicchio. Your verdicchio, in, let's, say, let's pretend we're in a blind tasting. Okay, how would you be able to uh, recognize your verdicchio um, with others? Let's say you have like three verdicchios or five even, right? Amongst them, there's your verdicchio. How or would you be able to recognize your verdicchio and how would you be able to do that if yes? Probably not. No, maybe maybe yes. It depends because verdicchio. Well, that's an honest answer. Okay. There, there, there is not one verdicchio. Uh, if in my estate, from the same vineyards, uh, in the same winery, I manage to make uh, four verdicchios that are all extremely different from one another, you can imagine how versatile and how many expressions of verdicchio you can have. So there is not really the verdicchio. Uh, verdicchio for sure has some uh, uh, common characteristic. Verdicchio in my area, which is more Mediterranean, because Moro d'Alba is one of the hills of Iesi closer to the coast. Uh, we really see the sea. Uh, the, we, we, are, we have the influence of the sea breeze. The verdicchio tends to be a bit more mature, a bit less aromatic, uh, a bit more austere in the early stage of life, but they become, uh, they open up and they become very elegant and powerful uh, with some aging. Uh, so minerality, salinity, those uh, uh, sea, sea breeze notes uh, on the nose, um, not too flowery. Uh, and uh, most of all, I would recognize uh, for the um, uh, salinity of the wine, for the sapid finish uh, that verdicchios in this area tend to have. That said, uh, I challenge every producer to find his own wine in a horizontal tasting <laughs> because it's not so easy. But uh, sometimes I manage to uh, recognize when we do tasting of any verdicchios. That's fantastic. Lorenzo, thank you so much. Uh, we have come to the end, and so I'm going to close the room. Thank you so much, Marcia, for hosting. 
and hope to see you really soon in Verona at Vinitaly. Um, I just want to remind everyone that next week we are back to our Thursday slot, but at 8 p.m. Um, so thank you everyone being sort of for being flexible about this. Next week we have Stefan Metzna, our Italian wine ambassador, um, interviewing Clemens Lageda. And then the week after that we have Julianne Farriker interviewing Amanda Courtney. The week after that, 24th of February, which is my birthday, Ashley Howell with Pierluca Proietti of Abia Nobia. That's it for now. And I'm going to sign off. Thank you all very much. Thank, Thank you, you very Andrei. much. Thank Ch you, everyone. Thank you, Marcia. Hey, Laika, you're doing a great job ciao. with Clubhouse. Thank you, Laika. And ciao, ragazzi. Bye. Ciao, Lorenzo. Thank you. Ciao, ciao. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, chi guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.